The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I think the most important thing that I would hope guys remember me for um, would be that they believe in themselves. And... um, That I believe in them and that nothing, absolutely nothing, is not attainable. If they chase it and they want it, then they believe in it enough. It's a, it's a blessing for sure. Uh, just the way everything just worked out uh, last year. I pray for a lot of patience and um, just patience, DJ, be patient. Everything's going to work out. And everything just worked out and folded uh, up just perfectly. I have a great rapport here. I have a great thing here with, with everybody in, in the in the building and obviously on the field as well. Um, and I did, I, I told him, I, I didn't want to chase every penny. You know, that, that wasn't, I, I wasn't trying to auction off to the highest bidder at the end of the day. It's a Tuesday edition of PFTPM, day two of free agency, and I'm getting a phone call. Sorry, pal, I'll call you back later. That would have been a useful phone call to get five minutes ago. Might have been relevant to some of the things we're going to be talking about today, but oh well, Shireen, good afternoon. How's everything going today for you? Good. Congratulations, Mike. You're now officially an author, something that I have on my bucket list to do, so I hope your uh, book, Playmakers, does well. It's nice to be known as something else that starts with an A. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, thank you. Here it is. Here it is for anybody who hasn't heard yet. And if you haven't, where have you been? I've only been pushing it for the last six months, Playmakers, out today, wherever you find your books. And, And, you know, Shireen, the most amazing aspect of all of it is people are actually buying it, which I, you know, I, it's awesome. it didn't matter to me. I got my advance and they probably have to sell more than we're going to sell for me to make more than my advance. So frankly, I don't give a crap, but your competitiveness kicks in and you want it to sell and you want it to do well and you want people to enjoy it. That's why I did it. You want people to have something that they put on their shelf or on their coffee table or wherever else they put a book and they, are happy with the purchase, not asking themselves why in the hell they did what they did. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And it's a good book. I enjoyed the read, and and it's a good read, and it's a quick read. It doesn't read long. So I'm a reader, so I I enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate that very much. And Playmakers 1 took about two decades of craziness in the NFL. The way things have been going lately, Playmakers 2 will be out by 20. 25 uh, because things really have been nuts today was a nutty day in free agency day two randy gregory one of the top available pass rushers had a deal with the cowboys but when it came time to sign it randy gregory didn't like some of the language in there specifically his agent didn't like the language in there and the denver broncos who need some pass rushers now that the chargers are beefing up their pass rush and the chiefs kept frank clark and 
the Raiders have Max Crosby. So Randy Gregory joins the Denver Broncos on a five-year, $70 million deal with $28 million guaranteed. And I don't know how many of the specific details are out there, Shereem. That's what I've been trying to nail down. But there's something about the language of the Cowboys contract that jeopardized Randy Gregory's guaranteed money. The Broncos didn't insist on that language, and sometimes it's that simple. And if that's the case, my response is that's how it's supposed to work. You know, you, you, you negotiate, and if one team is taking a hard line on something that a player doesn't like and another team isn't, Them's the breaks. That's what happens. And that's what negotiation's all about. That's what free agency's all about. If the Cowboys wanted to keep them from leaving, they should have used the franchise tag. They had that available to them, and they didn't. So they had to compete with other teams. And if another team is going to give better language in the contract than what the Cowboys will, it's one of the risks you take by trying to cram onerous language down a guy's throat. Well, and Mike, it's something that you've talked about repeatedly, that nothing is done until it's signed, and it's something you've warned about. These deals we're hearing about with with players changing teams are not – they're just agreed upon, but they're not binding until the player actually signs the deal, and that hasn't been done when a, when a player changes teams. And it obviously hadn't been done with Randy Gregory, despite the Cowboys announcing the deal. The Cowboys are not happy, and you can understand that from their standpoint. They thought they had a deal with Gregory. They say it's the same language they use in every contract they do, including with Dak Prescott. However, with Randy Gregory, it is a risk. I mean, when you look that he was suspended 14 games in 2016, the entire 2017 season, the entire 2019 season, the first six games of the 2020 season. So it is a risk for Randy Gregory. Broncos gave him the exact same deal, which actually, if you factor in the state income tax, is less money. But it's, it's presumably it's not done until it's done. We realize until tomorrow, but presumably this is now where he's going. He's leaving Dallas to go to Denver, and that hurts the Cowboys unless they can find a pass rusher to replace him, a Von Miller or someone else. And we know their M.O. in recent years is not to, been, to sign these big-name guys. You would really be disappointed about Von Miller playing for the Dallas Cowboys. I can already tell that that would be a problem for you. <laughs> Texas A&M, all-time great, arriving with the Dallas Cowboys. But – the, the thing to remember, too, is because Randy Gregory had played for the Cowboys, he could have signed his contract right. with Dallas before 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. No. He can't sign with Denver before 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. So I guess in theory the Cowboys could say, hey, we'll sweeten the pot. Now, now that becomes problematic for the player. It becomes very problematic for the agent because you need to be able to trust the agent. And that may be why the Cowboys are upset. Because, you know, we got a deal. Well, we got a deal until I see the language in here that puts my guy at greater risk of having his injury, or not his injury guarantees, but his guarantees voided. And I guess injury guarantees would apply as well. There's language in these contracts, and it's standard for all teams. Some teams have different standard language than others. Some teams have stronger language that jeopardizes that guaranteed payment. And, and in some cases, that guaranteed payment is what saves a guy's roster spot. In some cases, if you don't have the guarantee, a guy gets cut if the team's on the fence about what to do. So it's an important term. And in theory, in theory, the Cowboys or anyone else could try to lure Randy Gregory. But I think that that's like a cannon. You can only shoot at one time. And it probably wouldn't be a good idea for Randy Gregory to step away from this deal with the Broncos because it does create a lot of problems, creates hard feelings. Like you said, the Cowboys have hard feelings. And other than Von Miller, pass rushers aren't, aren't easy to find. Von Miller is the only guy out there 
that you could plug right in and have the confidence he's going to be great. They may have to just hope that that they, they get lucky, that they have a Randy Gregory fall to them in the draft, or that they just trip over somebody who ends up being available, somebody who gets cut, who refused to take a pay decrease, whatever. They may have a hard time finding somebody that can come in and replace what Randy Gregory did, Shireen. Yeah, no question, Mike. And, and, you know, the last time the Cowboys lost the number 94 to the Broncos, that was DeMarcus Ware. And I would argue that DeMarcus Ware was a, obviously a more accomplished pass rusher. Surprised he didn't go in the Hall of Fame this year. But he played his last three years with the Broncos. He was 32 when he went there. And it had a great end, to his career, end of his career. Obviously won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning as his quarterback and opposite of Von Miller and, and had some really good careers there. Randy Gregory has more upside. He's 29. He's going there. Now, he's never had double-digit sack season. Six sacks was the most he's had in his career two years, including this past year. So it's not like they're getting DeMarcus Ware, but with the upside and the lack of toll that he's had on his body, Mike, since he entered the NFL, they like the future potential of Randy Gregory, and I could see why. And you're right. The Cowboys are going to have, despite just having the six sacks, they're going to have a hard time replacing him unless they do end up with a Von Miller or somebody like that. They're going to have to dole out a lot of money, obviously, if they're getting Von Miller. And he probably would have to give a hometown discount, which he might be willing to do to come back home. He grew up a Cowboys fan, huge Cowboys fan, and always wanted to go to the Cowboys. So maybe he gives them a, a, a hometown discount for a year or two. And one more point about Randy Gregory, it dovetails with playmakers because one of the essays in the book focuses on the notorious Ontario Smith Wizenator fiasco. And I use that as the, yeah. the, the background for expressing my long-held belief that the NFL should not care about guys smoking marijuana on their own time, away from the season. They got seven months per year that they are off. Why do you care about whether or not guys are smoking marijuana? And they still adhere to it now. They have essentially decriminalized it. You can be fined for it. Only in extreme circumstances are you suspended. Randy Gregory was a small handful of guys who got forgotten about when the new CBA was negotiated new two years ago before the world was turned upside down with the pandemic. And whether it was Randy Gregory, Martavis Bryant, uh, Josh Gordon, guys who were already caught up in the one-year suspension and then you come back and one false move and you're suspended again indefinitely. That doesn't work anymore. That doesn't apply anymore. You only get suspended under the most extreme and unusual circumstances that basically involve sticking your finger in the eye of the internal rehab process when you are testing positive. But just testing positive now doesn't get you suspended, and that's good. They need to get to the point where they get rid of it altogether and they don't care if guys are smoking marijuana. It's not a PED. It's it's legal in more and more jurisdictions all the time. It's a stupid, outdated policy. And Randy Gregory has never done anything wrong. He's just had issues with marijuana. And those issues were in the past. And to his credit, he has done pretty well since he's made his most recent return. Okay, Broncos also had another move. They re-signed linebacker Josie Jewell on a two-year deal, $11 million with $6 million guaranteed and you know the big one's coming tomorrow when Russell Wilson eventually becomes a member of the Denver Broncos but I gotta give this team credit they haven't done anything since winning Super Bowl 50 and they really are doing everything they can to make themselves relevant competitive and contenders in a very difficult division in a very difficult conference Shereen 
I really like what they've done. Obviously, the biggest one is getting Russell Wilson in the trade, but a defensive tackle DJ Jones yesterday, and Randy Gregory is going to team now with Bradley Chubb if he can stay healthy. But between Jones, Jewel, and Gregory, that's three contracts for $111 million. So they feel like they've shored up that defense. They've still got some work to do. They need a right tackle. They need a slot cornerback. They need a safety. They need a tight end. They need a number two um, quarterback. So they still have some work to do, but I really like the progress this team has made since last season. Most importantly, as you said, Mike, it's getting the quarterback. It's knowing you can win with that guy under center. And the Broncos believe, because Russell Wilson's done it, he won a Super Bowl in Seattle and got the Seahawks back to a Super Bowl they should have won. They know they can win with him, and that's the first time they can say that since Peyton Manning was under center for him. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be very, very competitive top to bottom in the AFC in 2022. And the reality is injuries will be the major factor. We do this every year. Mm -hmm. We get so caught up in what could be and what will be and what may be when the season comes around. But injuries will change everything, and that's how some of these teams will fall off. But there are going to be pretty plenty of good teams going into the coming season somebody is going to be significantly enhanced at the quarterback position by the acquisition of Deshaun Watson Watson is meeting with the Falcons on Wednesday after meeting with the Panthers and the Saints on Monday and the Browns on Tuesday everybody in the NFC South wants Deshaun Watson the Buccaneers were interested in him before Tom Brady on retired and frankly one of the reasons Brady came back when he did may have been if I'm ever going to get back on this Buccaneers train, I better do it now before they go out and make a move like Deshaun Watson. But the Falcons' interest is stunning to me because yeah. how in the world do you absorb Deshaun Watson and unload Matt Ryan unless they're going to delay this transaction on both sides until after June 1? And remember, that was the Julio Jones play last year, setting up the trade of him after June 1 to manage the cap hit. It's a crippling $55 million cap charge if you trade Matt Ryan now. That's a fourth of your cap in dead money if you do this deal now. So, so maybe, maybe if it works out that the Falcons are the team that Deshaun Watson wants, that the Texans actually want Matt Ryan, that Matt Ryan wants to go there even though he doesn't have a no-trade clause. If Matt Ryan doesn't want to go to the Texans – it's not very attractive for the Texans to to make him involuntarily their franchise quarterback. Um, but I can't see that happening before June 1. But but at this point, who knows? It's really not that far off. You miss the offseason program, or at least 90% of it. But if you're the Falcons, you get a 10-year franchise quarterback. Well, and Mike, I looked at this, and my first thought was, this is the Falcons trying to drive up the price for the Bucks. I mean, for the, the Carolina Panthers or the New Orleans Saints, whichever team ultimately ends up trading for him, if that is to happen. But anyway, driving up the price, because I realize he's from Georgia. I realize he's a former Falcons ball boy. I realize that Arthur Blank, Blank likes him, the owner of the Falcons. I realize all that. But you look everywhere else, it makes no sense. As you said, because of what Matt Ryan is making, how much of that salary cap he's tying up. And frankly, if you look at their receiving core, what makes you, if you're Sean Watson, want to go there? They just lost Russell, Russell Gage. 
We know Calvin Ridley suspended for the year. There is no receiver on that roster I would want to play with. You've got Kyle Pitts, and that's it. So if I'm Deshaun Watson, I look at this team and I go, what, why, other than the chance to go home? And I'm not sure that's enough. And from Watson's perspective, the more teams that are interested, maybe the better deal he gets walking through the door, although it may be a little bit much for him to presume that He's going to get some giant new contract when he's played one season under the giant contract he got in September of 2020 from the Houston Texans. But you need to be careful if you're Watson because, look, I think the progression goes like this. All the interested teams declare themselves. Watson meets with the ones he's at least marginally interested in. Then Watson makes his final list of teams for which he would waive his no-trade clause. Then the Texans basically have an auction for the contract from among the teams that Watson will play for. But if there's too many teams on that list and the bidding keeps going up and up and up, Watson's eventually got to go play for a team that has given up a crap load of stuff to get him. If you're Watson, I know there's a certain amount of your ego that gets satisfied by saying, hey, they gave up five first-round picks for me. But when you get there, you're like, well, we need to make this team better. How do we make it better? Well, we need some first-round picks. Oh, they gave up five to get me. So – there's a sweet spot that you want to find there. And I I just think that the Falcons seem like such a long shot, and it will put extra pressure on the Saints and Panthers. I think he just needs to pick one of those two teams, Saints or Panthers, and then another team that's not in the NFC South, have two teams that he'll waive his no-trade clause for, and let those two teams figure out who's going to give the Texans what they want. The Browns are in it too, as we mentioned. Maybe it's Cleveland. And I assume Cleveland is – serious about this Shireen because you've already pissed off Baker Mayfield and I don't think that's a good idea if you're the Cleveland Browns and 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 uh if if you don't get to Sean Watson you better have another plan that involves Baker Mayfield not being your quarterback because you know he comes and has a great year for you in 2022 he may he may refuse to sign a long-term long-term contract just because you, you you put him through this this sense that he had to sit and wonder whether or not you're going to, he's going to get thrown overboard by the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer just put something out to that effect that if they don't end up with Deshaun Watson, Baker may be so mad that he doesn't want to play with them and maybe you have to do something with Baker and move on. So you better have a plan B there if you don't end up with Deshaun Watson on what you're going to do. I just... Baker Mayfield seems so fragile to me after what happened with the Odell Beckham stuff late last season. And we remember the game, I think it was the Lions game, maybe when he didn't go shake hands at midfield after the game because he was back. I mean, there's just so many things that that don't seem, it just seems like he's fragile a little bit. And so, you know, I would worry if I'm the Browns, if I don't get to Sean Watson about my, what my future is at quarterback, is Baker Mayfield going to be okay if you bring him back? He's not going to have a choice probably but to play. But, you know, I do worry about that if, I, if I'm the Browns' uh, ownership, thinking about what's my future if I don't get to Sean Watson. I've said before, Shireen, that we see and hear enough from Baker Mayfield publicly to come to the reasonable conclusion that behind the scenes, he is a major pain in the ass for the Browns. And the fact that they're considering Deshaun Watson would tend to corroborate that because if they really like this guy and if he wasn't a major pain in their ass, 
then they'd work with him one more year. They'd see what he can do in 2022. They'd let him get healthy. They'd try to nurture him, and they'd try to build around him and hope it all works out. I just think they're exhausted by him. And it's great to be driven and motivated. And that chip on the shoulder can be very valid and very, very helpful to what a guy's trying to achieve. But if, if it becomes something that, that causes internal strife and angst and problems, there's a point where the team has to ask themselves, is this guy worth it? Is he so good that we'll tolerate him being a major pain in the ass? Like Aaron Rodgers, major pain in the ass, but he's so good, the Packers tolerate it. And they've twisted themselves in pretzels to give him what he wants, whether it's bring back Tom Clements, who was gone for a reason, bring back Randall Cobb, who was gone for a reason, do other things that they were doing for a reason that now they're doing a different way because Aaron Rodgers is so good. He, he can command that. I guarantee you the moment that they see slippage from Aaron Rodgers, they're going to tell him, get the hell out of here. And with Mayfield, he's not good enough for the Browns to put up with that kind of fragile. And, and I'm not making, look, it's, we all have our own flaws, but we see what we see and we hear what we hear from Baker Mayfield. There's been an immaturity with him that, that was kind, it, at times it's kind of fun and it's kind of edgy and he'll say things that other people won't. But I don't think he knows how to apply the brakes to it quite yet. And at some point, he's got to mature into someone who knows when to give it a rest, especially when dealing with the people who are on his side. If you're Deshaun Watson, Mike, and you're looking, let's just leave it at these three teams. Let's throw out the Falcons. I think you and I both agree that he's probably not. It's a long shot. He's going to Atlanta. So you're talking about three teams, basically, that are in it right now. If you're Deshaun Watson looking at that, where would you go of those three teams? Because I think I would probably pick Cleveland. Yes, the Browns are the best team of the bunch, although I'd love to get the hell out of the AFC. If I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm waiting for the Eagles. That's true. To get to, get to the table because the Eagles are, are where I'd want to go. Right now, playoff team, yeah. year two of Nick Sirianni, stability, the potential to compete at a high level, win the division, maybe get to a Super Bowl. The path is a lot easier in the NFC than the AFC. I'd want to go to Philadelphia. And and maybe Philadelphia is just kind of monitoring and taking their time and waiting to swoop in. The other side of this, too, that – and I, I, I hate oh, – nobody's talking about it, but nobody's talking about this. He was questioned today under oath in the civil lawsuits that are pending against him for the first time. If that went poorly – these teams should run in the other direction, and we don't know how it's gone. And I, I don't know if Tony Busby will find a way to leak any of the testimony or the video. Sometimes these things have a way of making their way to the public eye. But I know if I'm a team that's interested in Deshaun Watson, I've already spoken to Rusty Harden and or David Mulugeta. Harden is the lawyer and David is the agent. And I've said to them, before I do anything, i got to see how it went today. I got to see it with my own eyes. I got to watch that video. I got to get an idea of what I'm really stepping into here. What kind of PR problem is going to be hanging over me as these cases go forward? And either we're confident that this guy's going to go to trial and win most, if not all, of these claims, or we're going to know that this is going to be a big mess that's going to hover over us. It hovers over you and it hovers over us. And we may we may take the Miami Dolphins approach that you got to settle these before we make this trade. And that's exactly why he's not a member of the Dolphins. Stephen Ross, the owner of the team, said you got to settle all 22 cases. If today's depositions went poorly, some of that $35 million that Deshaun Watson's making this year is going to go into the settlement fund and make this case go away because I don't want that dragging down my franchise if this litigation is going to continue to be problematic for Deshaun Watson, Shereen.
Oh, absolutely, Mike. I'm with you there. They've got to see how this went before they fully commit to Deshaun Watson. But I am with you also on the Eagles. That would be my number one choice because, A, it would get me out of the AFC where we know that it's loaded with quarterbacks, and it gets me out of the NFC uh, South with Tom Brady. And that may only be for a year, but nonetheless, it gets me to the NFC East where I know I can win year after year after year. I'm going to have a chance to win in that division. There's no team that really scares me. There's no quarterback that really scares me over the long haul to where I think I can't win. And they've got a great roster. And by the way, they've got three first round draft picks this year. So that's where I would want to go to if I'm Deshaun Watson and he would have to hope that they get involved in this thing. And maybe like you said, they're just patiently waiting to see what happens today in, in the te- deposition. And then maybe they'll jump into the fray. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers could use a couple of interior offensive linemen following the retirement of Ali Marpet and the decision of Alex Kappa to jump to the Cincinnati Bengals. They have acquired via trade Shaq Mason, Patriots guard. Fifth round pick goes to New England. Mason goes to Tampa Bay, reunites with Tom Brady. Seven and a half million is due for Mason in 2022, eight and a half next year. Hey, it's what you got to do if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You got to figure out how to how to keep Tom Brady upright as he's getting older, as we all are. But for Tom Brady, especially out there on a football field, literally being chased by guys half his age, you better protect Tom Brady. So smart move by the Buccaneers to, to make a move to address the retirement of Marpet and the decision of Kappa to take off. This is one of my absolute favorite moves that's been made this offseason, Mike, because Tom Brady called Alex Kappa and said, hey, would you think about reneging on the Bengals and coming back our way? And he said, no, I'm committed to the Bengals. I, I agreed to a contract with them. So he's staying with the Bengals. So they had to replace. And you know he was involved. Tom Brady was directly involved in this personnel decision uh, with the Bucks, And I think when quarterbacks talk about being involved in personnel decisions, this is it right here. This is Tom Brady getting involved and say, look, I won two Super Bowls with Shaq Mason. I want this guy on my roster. I want this guy on my team blocking for me. And to me, it's an upgrade. I think they upgraded at this position. And I never saw the Bucks being able to maybe, maybe take a step forward based on what their salary cap situation was. I think this is a step forward for them. Well, and it's something they definitely needed to do. And, you know, you're right. Tom Brady, if he's there, he's basically in charge. He's the guy. That's how it goes. And uh, the, the Buccaneers want that. They'd, they'd rather have Tom Brady there telling them what to do than Tom Brady not there, not telling them what to do. The Buccaneers also have picked up another receiver, Russell Gage. He is expected to sign with Tampa Bay. He had back-to-back 700-plus yard receiving seasons in Atlanta. The deal is $10 million per year over three years with $20 million guaranteed. And, you know, not that long ago, the Buccaneers had an embarrassment of riches at receiver. But Antonio Brown, gone. Chris Godwin staying under the franchise tag, even though he's rehabbing a torn ACL. He had surgery in January on an ACL tear suffered in Week 15. You've got some guys that you don't really know what they're going to be. Tyler Johnson, who was pretty good as a rookie, he came in overweight and out of shape in 2021. He wasn't quite the same guy. There was the rookie in 2021 whose name escapes me. I'm not even going to try to remember who it is on the fly. You got Scotty Miller on that depth chart. So Gage is an acknowledgement that that they need to do some work. They need to work on that receiving core with Brady there, and they're willing to do it. So, you know, last year was all about bringing everyone back. Jalen Darden, by the way, I knew it would finally come to me. 
last year was about bringing everyone back. I think this year is about strategically upgrading where you need to. Antonio Brown gone, we need to upgrade. Kappa and Marpet gone, we need to upgrade. And uh, sometimes it's good to have, you know, that, that fresh approach. When you bring everybody back who had climbed the mountain the year before, maybe it's hard to get everybody on the same page to climb the mountain again. Well, and, and I like what the Bucks have done so far. I mean, this is a team, you know, a few days ago we're thinking, gosh, they need a quarterback. They're going to lose all these guys. Maybe they win that division depending on who they get at quarterback. And now you're looking at them and going, you know what? They're the best team in the NFC right now. I like their chances to, to win the Super Bowl depending on what happens with Devontae Adams and depending on what happens with the Packers trying to upgrade their roster. But right now, if I'm going to pick an NFC team, I love the Bucks' chances. It's, to me, it's the Bucks and Packers and, and maybe the Rams, depending on what they do. But history tells us that teams don't repeat. hasn't happened since the Patriots in the early 2000s. So I really like these Buccaneers' chances to, to win another Super Bowl second in three years. Buccaneers lost to safety Jordan Whitehead, two-year deal. He will sign with the Jets unless Tom Brady can work some magic between, tomorrow, between now and tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern. $14.5 million deal. Jordan Whitehead becomes a member of the Jets. Jets also add cornerback DJ Reed on a three-year deal, $33 million. The Jets finished dead last in total defense last year. The Jets had a lot of work to do. Now, they haven't gone crazy like the Jaguars have, but just like the Jaguars, you got a young franchise quarterback on his rookie contract. Now's the time to spend. Now's the time to go all out to try to build the team around him before you have to invest that second contract in the quarterback if things work but they don't work unless you put the team around them that's what the Jaguars are trying to do and Shireen that's what the Jets are trying to do they are and they need a replacement for Marcus May you know he hid the DUI from them in 2021 and then he tore his Achilles so he's going to walk away they have that replacement now for Marcus May and I like some of the moves that that they've made you know it's hard Mike at this time of year when you see teams filling in some holes and you think okay this team did good and this team did good and reality tells us that a lot of these guys aren't going to pan out whether they're just not any good with their new team or whether they're injury prone and, and don't fulfill the contract because of injuries so um, but I like the moves they make on paper we'll see if that can lead to more wins this year. Baltimore Ravens have agreed to terms with former Saints safety Marcus Williams. He was franchise tagged last year. It's a five-year deal. $70 million with $37 million guaranteed. The secondary projected for the Ravens. Marcus Williams, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Chuck Clark. Now Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters had torn ACLs last year. And, and for the Ravens, they, they had the experience with Earl Thomas. They're ready to get back on the pay-a-safety-a-lot-of-money horse after – the, the misadventures with Earl Thomas. So hopefully they'll have better luck with Marcus Williams than they had with Earl Thomas, Shereen. Yeah, Eric Weddle, they signed him in 2016 and had better luck with him than they did signing Earl Thomas in 2019. So they hope he's more Eric uh, Weddle than he is Earl Thomas. Um, and we'll see what else the Ravens have up their sleeves. Although I know the one deal they would very much like to do is the long-term contract with Lamar Jackson, who continues to not engage the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to engage some more moves around the AFC East when this Tuesday edition of PFTPM continues right after this.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, James White sticking around with the New England Patriots. Two years, $5 million. He only played in three games in 2021 due to a hip injury. And really, that's not much money for a running back, but the running backs don't make much money as it is. Speaking of running backs, well, before that, let's react. Shereen James White, I mean, he's he's a guy who could have been the MVP of Super Bowl 51. He's been with the Patriots a long time. The Patriots never let any of their running backs become stars because it's like every game they have a different plan for who's going to be getting the ball. Is it going to be runs? Is it going to be catches? Or are they just going to do nothing but stand there and block for the passing game? But uh, you still have to have guys that you trust, and I think that's the key. With Bill Belichick, it's guys you can trust, primarily guys you can trust to hold on to the football. And you know who else trusted him, Mike, is the the Raiders. They were after him, of course, and you can expect that, uh, especially those offensive players of the Patriots that become available, that the, that the Raiders are going to have some interest with Josh McDaniels there now. But he decided to stay where he's familiar, and that's what he said, that he, 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 when the Patriots wanted him back, he was going back. Four-time captain of that team. But he did turn 30 years old, Mike. So it's good that they have two other running backs they can rely on. They've always had that kind of running back by committee there. And I think that'll continue. And he's a big part of that. Uh, the Buffalo Bills have added J.D. McKissick, who was pretty good last year in Washington. He was a guy who had his moments in Seattle early in his career. Uh, There were times last year where McKissick was like, wow, this guy's pretty damn good. And now the Bills add some some versatility, add a little splash to a backfield that needs it. That's the thing that's dragged down that offense from time to time. And they need somebody, I think, who isn't just a guy who can run the ball, but who will be a weapon in the passing game for Josh Allen, Shereen. Completely agree with you, Mike. And when you start looking at the Bills' rushing statistics from last season, Josh Allen was their second leading rusher. They just need more versatility at that position. And I think adding him along with Devin Singletary, along with Zach Moss, I think that helps them become a a better running team and, as you said, a better third-down team with an option out of the backfield in J.D. McKissick. I think this was a really good signing for them. I thought they needed to upgrade their running back position, and I think they did that with kind of this, again, this kind of this committee a little bit copying what the Patriots have done at, at their running back position. But I like that. And he's second Washington player that they've signed. They signed defensive tackle or agreed to terms with defensive tackle Tim Settle as well. The uh, Miami Dolphins continue to make moves. Offensive lineman Connor Williams agrees to a two-year deal, $14 million, $7.5 million in guaranteed money. And I, I like what the Dolphins are doing. It's very surgical, yeah. deliberate, and, and I, still, I still really like and, and I know to and on, this isn't aimed at just getting you riled up at dinner time, but I really like Teddy Bridgewater running the Kyle Shanahan offense as modified by Mike McDaniel in Miami. I like the fact that he'll be available in the event Tua gets injured, and I have a feeling if he plays, he's going to be pretty good, and I love the fact that he's going back home. So Miami try to do what they can to parlay two straight winning seasons but not playoff seasons into a team 
that can be a perennial contender. Not easy to do in that division, but they're giving it their, their best shot, Shereen. Well, Cowboys fans are upset that Randy Gregory's not coming back, especially after agreeing to terms. They are happy to be rid of Connor Williams. He was the most penalized <laughs> lineman in the NFL oh, last man. season. He had, he had 15 penalties, 13 holds. But you know what? The, the good thing about Connor Williams, he was benched last year, but he only gave up one sack. But the good thing about him, Mike, he played that left guard spot, but he can also play tackle. He played tackle at the University of Texas. That might be a, his better spot despite what they call short arms, but he is versatile. You can plug him in anywhere at center, and I think you're going to be okay. He's an upgrade for that Dolphins offensive line. Yeah, I, I don't know how big he is. That's a pretty big body bag for Connor Williams that you're trying to stuff him into, but uh, you never know when. See, that's the thing. I'm, I'm – I almost said the word. I'm a real jerk all the time, so you expect it. With Shireen, you never quite know when she's going to come <laughs> flying in off the top rope with a sharpened elbow to just jam into somebody and send them into the great beyond. Connor Williams, sorry, you had a good run, but you've been ended by Connor Williams. Let's go, or by Shireen Williams. Connor, no, no relation, I assume, um, obviously. So uh, let's go ahead and take a break here. Um, when we return, good news. Aaron Rodgers finally has signed his new contract. We'll take a look inside of that. Plus, a little, a little stuff about Tom Brady that's worth considering as he returns to the NFL after a short-lived retirement. We'll do that next here on PFTPM. Shereenisms. News on the headline. I sound like Sims now, right? There's a lot of talk here, Mike, and it's the news on the headline, uh, headline, news on the headlines. Sound like Sims now, right? It's headlines in the news here everywhere. <laughs> Shereenisms. Body bags galore on this Tuesday edition of PFTPM. <laughs> oh, and you know, Sims has really developed this skill of creating a word that at first blush is not a word, but I like it. he accidentally tri trips into a word, a high-level, rarely used word. So yeah. it's a skill. It's an art. It's special. And I look forward to it every morning. All right. We've been looking forward for six mornings to Aaron Rodgers signing his contract extension. I kind of thought maybe he'd retire once Tom Brady came back because now he could be the headliner for Hall of Fame weekend. And I say that only half-jokingly. He, he did sign his extension. And – it's still hard to understand exactly what it is. It's got a very high new money average, although I don't think he plays the next three years. I think this is basically a two-year deal if he chooses to come back for the second year. And, uh, you know, there would be cap consequences, obviously, if he doesn't. But th this isn't a five-year deal. The two years on the back end are dummy years. And I actually think they went back and reworked the numbers on the back end to make the initial report from NFL media incorrect that it was a four-year, $200 million extension. And that worked out to $50 million a year. He's getting $150 million over three years when he was supposed to get $26 million this year. So it really is a significant increase if he stays all three years. I don't think he stays all three years. I think at the end of the day, he's going to be in the same posture after this season that he was after last season. What am I going to do? Am I retiring? Am I playing for the Packers? Or am I going to ask for a trade? And a lot of that stuff you can't put in writing, but there could be an understanding that if he decides after this season he wants to be traded, they'll entertain that possibility. A lot of it 
comes down to what the cap charges will be. And I've got all the numbers, and I need to crunch them all and post something at PFT so we have a better understanding of what the the consequences are if he goes after one year. But this was primarily about reducing cap number this year, and it did dramatically down to down uh, to $28 million from $46.66 million. They desperately needed that. They still need to create more cap space too. But it's also about you know giving him some financial reward for what he's done the past couple of years because his current contract was outdated by some of these other deals we've seen, Shireen. Yeah, this gets them really close, Mike. They were at $21.2 million over the salary cap before this deal became official. So the $18 million that they pick up, roughly, uh, will get them really close to that, that salary cap number. So they're doing some work here. I agree with you. I don't know if he has three years left in him. I mean, 38 years old. He certainly hasn't slowed down. We've seen the back-to-back MVPs. But what if this team doesn't win a Super Bowl this year? I mean, they won 13 games over the last three seasons, the first team ever to do that and not go to a Super Bowl. What if they don't do it this year? You know, I think that led Russell Wilson to wanting out of Seattle, just thinking, I can't win here. Three and five in the postseason since they went to their back-to-back Super Bowls, won one, should have won the other against Tom Brady's uh, Patriots at the time. But, you know, I think that led Russell Wilson out. So what if the Packers go thir- win 13 again this year and don't get to the Super Bowl again? That, to me, would be something that might prompt Aaron uh, Rodgers to say, you know what, four years now we've been one of the best teams in the NFC, if not the best team in the NFC in the regular season, and we can't get it done in the postseason. Maybe it's time to go try it somewhere else with another team. So I could definitely see that happening if they can't do what they haven't done over the last three years. I still think his fear is he goes to another team and the same thing happens with that other team. So the narrative yeah. becomes he's the reason why the Packers were never able to punch it in. Because, look, he is a different player in the postseason than he is in the regular season. Now, back in 2010, he took a team that was the sixth seed at the time when there were only six per conference, and they went on the road, and they won, and they won, and they won, and they got to the Super Bowl and beat the Steelers. But four times he was the regular season MVP, no Super Bowl appearance. Three times his team was the one seed, no Super Bowl appearance in any of those three occasions. I think it was the MVP each of the three times that the Packers were the one seed. So if he goes somewhere else and is the one seed in the MVP – and they don't get to the Super Bowl, it's all about him. I also think that I think that as he gets older, he becomes less inclined to start over somewhere else. I think at his core, he really doesn't want to go through that kind of change and get to know new people and, and new personalities and new this and new that. I don't think he's up for that. I, I think that, that he, he leveraged the threat of leaving to get them to do what he wanted them to do in many different ways in Green Bay. But I think at the end of the day, retirement is all he would do if he doesn't want to play for the Packers anymore. I don't think he has it in him to go play for another team. And I think he resolved that once and for all this year when he decided to return to the Green Bay Packers. Tom Brady decides to return to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. His father, Tom Brady Sr., who shouted down the retirement reports from ESPN that emerged that Saturday in late January, just before Brady actually did retire, Here is Tom Brady Sr. on the Greeny podcast talking about Tom Jr.'s retirement and unretirement. They were announcing his retirement before he even retired. And 
sometime, you know, the, the media made the news. Mm. He, he was not ready to make any decision and, and didn't make any decision, but Schefter and Darlington uh, stated it as fact, and, you know, he hadn't made any decision on that. So, lo and behold, uh, after he had time to reflect with his family and, you know, what, what gives him the greatest joy in his life, and they all agreed that this is the path forward that, that works best for for the Brady family, so um, he just came out and and uh, as happy as could be. Yeah, and look, I really don't think that he was strong armed into retiring because ESPN reported that he was retiring. Um, he, if anything, and remember, I thought there was a sense that he doesn't retire just as a middle finger to ESPN, but the prevailing theory was that ESPN caught wind of the final episode of the Man in the Arena special series, whatever. I still haven't watched any of them. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but it's not like The Last Dance. I, it just it never did anything for me, and I don't know, maybe I'm not a true football fan because I didn't give a crap about the Man in the Arena, but apparently the last episode is where he talks at the end about being done playing football, and they caught wind of it, and they reported he was retiring, and hey, hey, I think it's it's fair enough to say he made a decision based upon how he felt at the time, and he quickly realized he made a mistake. That's okay. That humanizes the cyborg. See, Tom Brady seems like part man, part machine, and as time goes by, more machine than man. I like it when he has a human moment. I like it when he does something the rest of his life. Who among us has not made a decision and then promptly asked ourselves, oh, God, what the hell? did I do? I mean, Shireen had that feeling after she accepted employment with PFT, so she can relate. (laughs) So, I mean, it's it's normal. It's natural, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I don't try to blame somebody else. You made a decision, and you quickly realized you made the wrong decision. It's okay. Well, however ESPN found out about this and reported this, Mike, they didn't just make this up. I mean, they had some sort of knowledge that this was going to happen. And, and to say that they strong-armed him into deciding retire is just ridiculous. It's a ridiculous statement. It really is. He did it three days after that, so he was headed that direction anyway. And he obviously changed his mind at some point. And I will be curious if it ever comes out exactly when he changed his mind, exactly when he told the Buccaneers, hey, I've made a mistake, I'm coming back. And you know they welcomed him back with open arms, of course. But when did that conversation first take place that he wanted to come back? Somewhere in the course of those 40 days, he changed his mind. And as you said, Mike, that's okay. We all change our minds. We all have regrets. He, he had a regret that he retired, and then he fixed it. He was able to fix it and come back and continue his career. That's okay. 23rd season. We get to watch Tom Brady again. That's fantastic. You look at the Bucks schedule. They have some great games, 49ers, Cowboys. I can't wait to see those games. I'm already checking them off. I can't wait to see when they are. I want to see those games with Tom Brady playing against some of these teams that he has on his schedule. And there was a thought that he was at least poking around the possibility of playing somewhere else. We reported a couple of weeks ago that the Dolphins were exploring a Sean Payton-Tom Brady package deal. I think there was something to the 49ers chatter. Uh, There were people in the Buccaneers building who were concerned that that's what he was trying to do. But at the end of the day, he comes back to Tampa. And one thing I want to mention before we take a break, I'm going off our script here. I found it very compelling 
that an executive from the Westgate Superbook in Las Vegas went on the record asking the NFL to investigate whether or not inside information was misappropriated regarding Brady's unretirement because a sharp better, a guy that wasn't, as this executive told the Las Vegas Review-Journal, wearing a Tom Brady jersey. It was somebody who was there knowing damn well what they were doing, dropping big money on the Bucks to win the NFC Championship, to win the Super Bowl. The odds begin to move. They, they still keep dropping big money on the Bucks four days before, actually three days before Tom Brady unretires. And I look at it and I say, first of all, I'm shedding no tears for the casinos because they always win. The first time I ever walked into a casino and I looked around and said, well, I know whose money pays for all this stuff. But secondly, <laughs> secondly, why are you leaving those bets on the board when it's obvious something's going on with Tom Brady? When it's obvious this guy is yeah. going to come back, or at least it's obvious there's a real question as to whether or not he's going to come back. It's time to take those, those off. They did it last year with Aaron Rodgers. They took all the Packers props off the board when it looked like he may retire. They should have taken the Brady stuff off the board. Well, yeah, that's on them, Mike. And, and it's obvious that he had conversation with the, with the Bucks days before he announced that he was coming back. So there are people in the Bucks organization and probably other people elsewhere who knew that Tom Brady was coming back. Now, they kept it quiet, but there were a handful of people at least who knew that Tom Brady was coming back. And, and what happened here is somebody knew who wasn't connected to the sports book. If they had known, they would have either moved the odds or rip the odds off the board. They're supposed to know. That's part of yeah. what they do. And so shame on them for not following the news a little more carefully, paying attention to people like us. I was convinced he was coming back. Now, I got the wrong team. I freely admit that. But I was convinced the guy was coming back. Um, and so you've got the resources. You've got the incentive to have your finger on the pulse of exactly what in the hell is going on. And once, it was, once he's saying things like he was saying, you've got incentive if you're a sports book, to find out exactly what's going on and pull those bets down if you need to. So I've got no sympathy for the Westgate Superbook if they get burned on this. Hell, there's, there's no reason to believe with certainty they are going to get burned on it. First, the Buccaneers have to win the, the conference exactly. championship and the Super Bowl. And by the time it's all said and done, they still may make money off of the bets that people make on the other teams. So, I, but, 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 I mention this because, and this is one of the, one of the themes, one of the, one of the warnings to the NFL and playmakers, there's all sorts of inside information that the NFL needs to figure out how to properly secure. Material non-public information is what they call it in the corporate world that can affect the price of stocks. And there are regulations and restrictions on insider trading. The NFL needs to come up with a system to ensure that that information is not used by people who would then sell it to individuals who would make bets accordingly or to sports books who would adjust their odds accordingly or pull bets down. People have access to inside information. you got to protect it if you're the NFL. All right, we got to take a break. Andrew Whitworth going out on top as a Super Bowl champion. It looked like maybe he was going to come back. He's decided to retire. We'll discuss that next here on PFT. There's Andrew Whitworth's post on social media my chapter may have closed on the field but my story is unfinished can't wait for the next one thank you to everyone who has been part of my journey played for the Bengals jumped to the Rams beat the Bengals in Super Bowl 56 gets to retire with a championship that's rare territory you can't line things up it's hard to do Jerome Bettis John Elway Peyton Manning not many guys get to win that Super Bowl and walk off into the sunset Andrew Whitworth does it a great career 
played into his 40s, even though he was just 40. But still, that's a long time to play when you are a guy who is out there big-bodied, getting pushed around, having a lot of stress and pressure on your joints, and having to to get your body to respond and be ready to go each and every week. So a great career by Andrew Whitworth and uh, and a, a a problem for the Rams now to replace him at left tackle. Well, and he goes out with the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which arguably is the biggest award the NFL hands out, Mike. And what a truly great career. And I don't know if it's Hall of Fame worthy, three Pro Bowls, a couple All Pros, you know, those Bengals left tackles kind of get forgotten in the thing. But he did win a Super Bowl in his five years with the Rams. And what a durable career over 16 years. Just very impressive, I think, what he was able to do and how healthy he was able to stay aside from the 2020 season. Well, and, you know, one reason that I wish you would have played one more year and that I would be tempted to play one more year if I were Andrew Whitworth, you win that Walter Patton Man of the Year Award and you get that awesome patch, you know, the, the patch of the, of the, right, the statue. Yeah. That thing is so great. And, and the guys who have won that get to wear that on their uniforms. I think once we – there's a certain point in the season where those pop up and those are just awesome. Uh, Jordan Hicks. Former inside linebacker with the Cardinals signing with the Vikings, Shereen. The Vikings shifting to a 3-4. They need an inside linebacker who can play that defense. I don't know what it means for Eric Kendricks. I don't know what it means for other guys on that defense, but they are reshaping a defense that has been 4-3 for a very long time into a 3-4. That's hard to do right away. The Cowboys struggled with that a couple of years ago under Mike Nolan. You need to get the people who can run the defense because it's, it's different body types. It's different knowledge. It's going to be a challenge for the Vikings. You know, I think Jordan Hicks over the course of his career is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. I really like this signing. Wherever he was going to go, I was going to like the signing because I think he's an underrated player, really good inside linebacker. Yeah, uh, and uh, we'll see what else the Vikings have up their sleeves as they get under the cap and try to retool the defense. And the defense has not been good in recent years, so it's not like the bar is very high for Kevin O'Connell and company. All right, we're going to continue to track all moves in free agency at ProFootballTalk.com. We'll be back tomorrow morning bright and early with a full breakdown of all developments. And if, if recent history holds, something crazy is going to happen between now and tomorrow morning. We'll be ready for it on Wednesday. Have a great evening. Thanks for some of your time. Bye, Playmakers. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.